Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop wraps up his deep dive into the Easter Vigil Mass by finishing his reflection on the Proclamation of Easter, or the Exalted. Then he switches gears and goes into the Gospel readings for this Easter octave, all of which revolve around the empty tomb and the appearances of the risen Jesus. If you have a question for Bishop to answer on a future episode, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our Bishop and Happy Easter, Bishop. Thank you, Kyle. Happy Easter to you. Happy Easter Wednesday. Yeah, a, a very different Easter than maybe the way people are used to celebrating That's with family. For sure. yeah. Were you able to contact family, phone calls, things like that? Yeah, phone calls. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had the live streamed Easter Mass and then... Also on the Hallow app, I did uh, the Glorious Mysteries of the Rosary, so we oh, had a good. lot of people doing that. And then I did a Spanish Rosary on Easter Sunday, so it was a very good, and that was live streamed. So, uh-huh. yeah, it was a really very spiritual day. All right. Well, should we begin in prayer? Sure. And of course, in the Easter season, we prayed the Regina Chaley rather than the Angelus. So, the Regina Chaley, Regina Chaley means Queen of Heaven, so... Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. The Son whom you merited to bear. Alleluia. Has risen as he said. Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord has truly risen. Alleluia. Let us pray. O God, who through the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, did vouchsafe to give joy to the world, grant, we beseech you, that through his mother, the Virgin Mary, we may obtain the joys of everlasting life through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, it's interesting, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but throughout the year we pray the Angelus, and then we switch to the Regina Chaley during the 50 days of the Easter season. And when we pray the Angelus, we recall, Angelus of course means angel, so we recall the announcement of the angel Gabriel uh-huh. to Mary at the Annunciation. So the angel makes that incredible announcement of the incarnation, just like an angel makes the incredible announcement of the resurrection, as we hear in the Gospels at the empty tomb. But I, I think it's interesting to think about how the Regina Chaley differs from the Angelus, because in the Regina Chaley, it's not an angel making an announcement to Mary. We're making the announcement of the resurrection to Mary. Okay. At the Annunciation, the angel invited Mary to do what? To rejoice. Uh-huh. And in the Regina Chaley... We invite Mary to rejoice. We Mm. say, Queen of heaven, rejoice. The son whom you merited to bear has risen as he said. So we're like the angel. We're inviting Mary to rejoice. And I love that. We're announcing to her the resurrection of her son. Now, I don't know if you ever thought, I've thought sometimes I used to think, well, that's kind of strange. It's not like Mary doesn't know. (laughs) Exactly. And we're, we're telling her, Mary, rejoice. Queen of heaven, rejoice. But we're invited, this is the main point, I think, we're invited to proclaim the resurrection to everyone and invite everyone to rejoice, including one another, 
and including even our Blessed Mother. So I think it's a, a beautiful Easter prayer. So I encourage people. I don't know that a lot of people would have it memorized. Like a lot of people have the Angelus memorized, but the Regina Celi is such a, a beautiful prayer to memorize as well. And then to think of that, that we're announcing to Mary the resurrection of her son, because that's our mission as Christians, to announce to everyone the good news of the resurrection. Yeah. So anyhow, just a little reflection on the Regina Chaley. I appreciate that because I always kind of wondered why we make that shift and kind of the difference between those prayers. So that's, that's helpful. Just a reminder, you mentioned the live streaming that people can follow mass is being broadcasted from the cathedral. You're celebrating mass and people can watch that Facebook and YouTube. What's it like celebrating mass in front of a, an empty cathedral? Well, you know what? I feel really connected because I know there are thousands of people watching it. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of enter into the zone kind of when I start Mass. You know, even though there's no one there in the cathedral except a couple priests who are kind of celebrating in the uh -huh. cantor, I do kind of feel a spiritual connection to all the people that are mm -hmm. watching. It's kind of like when I celebrate Mass with the people, I feel a connection to the saints. Hmm. And to the the depart, faithful departed, the souls in purgatory, because you know the mass is this extraordinary prayer that is Christ's prayer. It's not limited to space and time. It's part of God's eternity that Christ's sacrifice becomes present for us. So it kind of transcends time and space. So for me. It's the whole mystical body of Christ that offers the Mass. So even if people aren't physically present, they're present there nonetheless in a deep way. Yeah. Well, we've been working through the Easter Vigil Mass all through Lent, and during Holy Week, the uh, April 8th episode made it maybe halfway through the Exalted. Thought maybe if you're willing, we could resume sharing a little bit about that, encourage people to go back and listen to that, but can you give us a, a recap of what the Exaltet is? Yeah, it's at the beginning of the Easter Vigil, after the blessing of the new fire and the lighting of the Paschal candle, the deacon, usually the deacon, could be a priest, sings the proclamation of Easter, and it's called the Exaltet. Exaltet is a word in Latin which means, let us rejoice, mm. you know, let us exalt. Mm -hmm. So it begins, exalt, let them exalt the hosts of heaven. So that's where we get the, the title, exalt And this really goes back to the first millennium. There was already a, a, an exalted like him back in the fourth century. The text we have now probably can be dated to about the seventh century. You know, as I said in the last program, we call on the angels to rejoice and to exalt and all the earth to be glad and, and the church to rejoice. So, and then it goes through salvation history, especially focusing on certain basics, the Passover of the Jews and, the, and then the Passover of Jesus. So all of this, it's, and, and it keeps repeating, this is the night, this is the night. And this is the night, for example, when Israel's children were led by God from slavery in Egypt and brought to deliverance through the Red Sea. And all of that, it's really very beautiful. And then, then it comes to its climax with this is the night when Christ broke the prison bars of death hmm. and rose victorious. So 
Where we left off last time, I'll just read from where we left off. The next part begins, O truly blessed night, worthy alone to know the time and hour when Christ rose from the underworld. This is the night of which it is written, the night shall be as bright as day. Dazzling is the night for me and full of gladness. You know, this is such a poetic hymn. Right. And then it says kind of what the effects of the what happened that night are. It says, the sanctifying power of this night dispels wickedness, washes faults away, restores innocence to the fallen, and joy to mourners, drives out hatred, fosters concord, and brings down the mighty. I mean, it's just so exuberant. Mm -hmm. It's like the church is, is just expressing its exuberance at Christ's defeat of death. And then it says, gets back to the Paschal candle because this is really a lot of the exult has to do with the Paschal candle that was just lit. So it says, on this, your night of grace, O Holy Father, accept this candle. So it's this, this offering. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like the Eucharist, you know, an offering to God. So it says, accept this offering, a solemn offering, the work of bees and of your servants' hands. An evening sacrifice of praise, this gift from your most holy church. After the Second Vatican Council and the, when the liturgy was translated into the vernacular, in our English version of the Exultet, they, they took out this part about the bees. Oh. Several years ago, when we got the new English translation, which was more, is more faithful to the Latin, uh-huh. it brought the bees back, <laughs> which I was so happy because, you know, why did they take that out? It's so cool. The work of bees, uh-huh. the candle wax, you yeah. know, is the work of bees. In other words, we're talking here about the work of creation. So I think that's significant. Then it says, but now we know the praises of this pillar, which glowing fire ignites for God's honor, a fire into many flames divided, yet never dimmed by sharing of its light. For it is fed by melting wax, drawn out by mother bees Mm -hmm. to build a torch so precious. So again, the bees, the mother bees. And then... O truly blessed night, when things of heaven are wed to those of earth and divine to the human. Therefore, O Lord, we pray you that this candle, hallowed to the honor of your name, may persevere undimmed to overcome the darkness of this night. Receive it as a pleasing fragrance and let it mingle with the lights of heaven. May this flame be found still burning by the morning star the one morning star who never sets, Christ your Son, who coming back from death's domain has shed his peaceful light on humanity and lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. So that's the Exultet. You know, we live stream the Easter Vigil from the cathedral Holy Saturday night. We began at nine o'clock because you can't, aren't allowed to begin until after it's dark, after mm-hmm. the sun sets. And our deacon, Dan Kale, he sang the Exalted. It was beautiful. He uh-huh. did a great job. I have to confess, in my 30, how many years am I a priest? I forgot now. Um, <laughs> 1983, 37 years, I've never sung the Exalted. Yeah. <laughs> it's too complicated. Yeah. It's not a simple chant. It's it's pretty involved. But these guys in the seminary now, they're taught to sing the Exalted. Oh. We were never taught. 
of course, even if I was taught, I wouldn't be able to do it because <laughs> I don't have a good voice. But, but it is really a beautiful and and you know we the church is still in darkness, but everyone's candles are lit mm-hmm. and, as this is being sung, and then the lights come on after the exalted is finished. And what is the role of the Paschal candle then? What all do we use that for? Is used at baptisms. They also light it during the Easter season? Yes, it's lit all 50 days of the Easter season, up during to two, including Pentecost at Mass in the front of the church. Then it's kept for the rest of the year by the baptismal font, because as you said, obviously it's we're enlightened by Christ at baptism, mm-hmm. and, and we light a, candles from the Paschal candle after the child is baptized. But it's also used at the end of our life. It's used at funerals. Okay. So... It's a, a symbol of Christ as our hope in the resurrection. So it's very appropriate that at the beginning of our Christian life, in baptism, we have the light of Christ. But then when our bodies are commended to the Lord after we die, we have that symbol again mm. because it's our hope of the resurrection for the person who's died. And then the casket is also covered in a white garment, just like a an adult or a child who's baptized, they're clothed in a white garment. Right. So we have that baptismal imagery both at, uh, also at masses of uh, funeral masses. Do you light the candle at confirmations? No. Okay. Hmm. Although, you know, a lot of confirmations are in the Easter season, so the Paschal candle is oh, there. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, coming up, we'll talk more about the Easter season, including the Easter Sunday morning gospel. Coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop celebrating Easter. We're still in the Easter octave. So Easter day is actually eight days long. Is that right? That's right. And so on Easter Sunday morning, we heard the story of Christ appearing to Mary Magdalene. This is just one Easter story. I'm kind of curious how all of these Easter stories tie in together. And we kind of hear different ones on different days and different, I mean, the Easter vigil is different than Sunday morning. Right. Well, every year, Easter Sunday morning, it's always the same gospel. You know how we have the three-year cycle Mm -hmm. of readings? Well, On Easter Sunday, every year, it's not a three-year cycle, it's always John chapter 20, verses 1 to 9. That's when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, Uh and then she had, you know, she found it empty and ran back and told Peter and John and all that. But the gospel at the Easter vigil is in the three-year cycle. So this year at the Easter vigil, the gospel was from St. Matthew. And what I'd like to do, I think might be helpful to the listeners is just talk about these eight days of Easter, the Easter octave, and which, of course, Easter begins on Easter Sunday, and it goes all the way through the second Sunday of Easter, this coming Sunday, which is Divine Mercy Sunday. So we have these eight days, and the gospel readings are all about the empty tomb and then the appearances of the risen Jesus. So we hear... Throughout this week, beginning with the Easter Vigil, we hear from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hmm. It's interesting. If you ever wanted to, you could just take those resurrection narratives from each gospel and put them next to each other. 
And you'll see there's a lot of differences in the different accounts. And let me just talk a little bit. Easter Vigil this year, as I said, was Matthew's account. And when you read Matthew's account, actually it was chapter 28, verses 1 to 10, we read about two women at the tomb mm-hmm. and the appearance of an angel and the appearance then of the risen Jesus to, to these two women as they left the tomb. They were on their way to tell the disciples. That's what the angel told them to do. And the two women were Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. The other Mary was the mother of James and Joseph. So that's what we heard at the Easter Vigil. Easter Monday, it continues with Matthew, and it kind of goes, it it repeats part of that gospel with Jesus appearing to the two women. And then it goes on to how the guards went back to the chief priests and uh-huh. told them what happened and all that. So anyhow, so we have Matthew on Easter Vigil this year and on Easter Monday. Okay. On Easter Sunday, as I mentioned, it's always John chapter 20, verses 1 to 9, with Mary Magdalene going to the tomb and finding the stone removed. Then she went to Peter and John and told them, and they go, and they find the tomb empty. As I said, Easter Monday, we have Matthew again, Jesus appearing to the two women. And then the story of the guard going to the chief priest to tell them what had happened. Remember, they, they bribe the guard to lie about it and to say that the disciples came and stole the body. Because hmm. when Matthew wrote this gospel, that was kind of the story that was circulating. Right. Then on Easter Tuesday, we go to St. John again, and it goes to what happens after Peter and John went to the empty tomb. I guess they went back and Mary Magdalene was there weeping outside the tomb. So on Easter Tuesday, we read that two angels appear to Mary Magdalene as she's weeping outside the tomb. So in some ways, it kind of relates to Matthew's gospel, where there were two women. I mean, where there was an angel, I'm sorry, not two women. It's just Mary Magdalene here. And then she saw Jesus. She thought Jesus was the gardener. Uh And she recognized him when he called her by name, when he said, Mary, she recognized that it was Jesus. And then she went and told the disciples, I have seen the Lord. So then when we get to Easter Wednesday today, we have Luke. Well, what does Luke tell us? Okay, we have these stories from Matthew. We have these stories from John, which have some similarities, but some differences. Well, in Luke, we have Jesus appearing on Easter Sunday to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh-huh. That's completely different. It's a different appearance. It's not Mary Magdalene. It's not women. It's two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Mm-hmm. And then on Easter Thursday, that Luke chapter 24, what after they recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread, well, you have the two going back to the other apostles, the other disciples to tell them. And then you have the risen Jesus appearing to the disciples Easter Sunday evening in Jerusalem, okay. and he showed them his hands and his feet, showing that he's not a ghost. He ate baked fish with them. Uh-huh. So that's Luke. So is this all in one day? This is all one day. Okay. Yeah, this is all Easter Sunday. Then on Easter Friday, Easter Friday of the octave, we're back to John's gospel. John chapter 21, where we have Jesus appearing at the Sea of Tiberias in Galilee the Sea of Galilee. 
because there's this tradition of Jesus's appearances in Jerusalem, uh-huh. and there's the tradition of Jesus appearing in Galilee. So in John's gospel, we have the disciples are out there fishing, and Jesus appeared to them. He's on the shore, and of course, they weren't catching anything, and then told them to cast the net, and they had a large catch of fish. Uh-huh. And then it was John who recognized that it was Jesus. He says, it is the Lord, because they didn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. And then on the shore, there was a charcoal fire with fish and bread, and Jesus ate breakfast with them. Mm -hmm. Then on Easter Saturday, we have Mark, finally, okay? The oldest gospel, probably. And we have in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 15, very significantly, this is an appendix to Mark's gospel. Okay. So this passage... If you read Mark 1 to 8, I'll tell you a little bit about that later, but it's a special case where three women went to the tomb, etc. But but we'll get to that later. In this part, verses 9 to 15, we're at the appendix. This wasn't part of the original gospel. This was added, according to scholars, in the second century. Huh. And it has, it's kind of a summary of all these other appearances. It talks about Jesus's appearance to Mary Magdalene. It mentions Jesus appearing to two disciples on a road outside of Jerusalem, Uh which of course would be Luke's Uh Emmaus story. Then it mentions the appearance to the 11 disciples at table on Easter Sunday evening. So this later passage, this appendix to Mark's gospel, kind of brings all these together. So that's Easter Saturday. Then on the second Sunday of Easter, Divine Mercy Sunday, we have John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. That's back to Easter Sunday evening again, Uh that when Jesus appeared to the 10, because Thomas wasn't there, and remember he says, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. And then we continue reading that gospel, and it has Jesus appearing a week later when Thomas is there. And we have that great profession of faith, my Lord and my God, after he put his hand in Jesus's wounds. Mm-hmm. So it kind of seems a little confusing when you read all four gospels and their accounts of the appearances of the risen Lord. Uh-huh. They're all narratives accounts of the resurrection appearances. And as I said, they reflect different traditions. There are different oral traditions and written traditions that were handed on. They can be divided geographically, as I said, between Jerusalem and Galilee. So we have these different traditions that are contained in each of the Gospels. But notice there are significant differences. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about it. Matthew. He recounts two appearances of Jesus. One to the two women at the empty tomb when they were walking away. Mm-hmm. And the other to the 11 in Galilee. So if you read Matthew, he has the appearance of Jesus in Jerusalem to the women. And then he has the account of Jesus appearing to the 11 in Galilee. Uh If you look at Luke, he only gives the Jerusalem tradition. So he recounts the appearance of two angels at the tomb to three women. Uh the appearance to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then the appearance to the 11 disciples in Jerusalem on Easter Sunday evening. Mm -hmm. 
Then you go to John, and he tells of appearances in both Jerusalem and Galilee. The appearance to Mary Magdalene after she saw two angels in the tomb. The appearance on Easter Sunday evening to the ten apostles, and then the Sunday after to the eleven when Thomas was back. And he has the appearance at the Sea of Tiberias in Galilee. So John has has both Jerusalem and Galilee appearances. And then, as I said, Mark's a special case because the beginning of chapter 16 of Mark's gospel, verses 1 to 8, it recounts three women who went to the tomb, and inside there was an angel who spoke to them, told them they would see Jesus in Galilee. And then it just ends abruptly. Uh And then, as I said, in the second century, an appendix to Mark's gospel was added verses 9 to 20 of chapter 16. And that's really like a summary, a concluding summary, bringing together the most important resurrection traditions. So he mentions the appearance to Mary Magdalene, the two disciples walking out into the country, the 11 at the table. So that's an interesting thing. So when you look at this, what do we find? Okay, we think about all these four gospels and their resurrection narratives. On the one hand, we learn that Jesus appears as a man like other men. Okay? I mean, he's walking right. alongside those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh-huh. There he is with when Thomas is back, and he invites Thomas to touch his wounds. He eats with them. He asks for a fish to eat. So he's just like a man. But on the other hand, he's different. Notice that the disciples don't recognize him at first. Right, Okay? Like the two disciples in the Emmaus story, they didn't even recognize him until the breaking of the bread. It sounds like quite a long time, too. They're talking about different things. He's breaking open scriptures, and they still don't recognize him. Exactly. I mean, Mary Magdalene, she thought he was a gardener. (laughs) The disciples at the Sea of, of Tiberias, they only recognize him eventually. You know, John, after that large catch of fish, then John cries out, it is the Lord. Uh So there's this dialectic of recognition and non-recognition. Very interesting. And then notice the manner in which Jesus appears. He comes through locked doors. Right. You know, he suddenly stands in their midst. And he also suddenly withdraws or disappears. Mm Mm-hmm. So, on the one hand, his presence is physical, okay? He, sh- he lets Thomas touch his wounds. He, he eats with them. You know, he walks with them. But he's not bound by physical laws. He's not bound by space and time. Mm-hmm. So, they're very mysterious. And it kind of shows us the mysterious nature of the risen Lord's new existence. It's the same man yet a new man. It's a new way of existence, a new manner of existence. He's not a ghost. He's embodied. So he's not a ghost from the realm of the dead. Mm-hmm. He's, but he's also not a resuscitated corpse. He's in a new realm of life. He's not going to die again. I love the way Pope Benedict calls it an evolutionary leap. I spoke about this at my Easter Sunday homily quite a bit, or an ontological leap. He's the new Adam. Right. 
And what the disciples experienced wasn't like, you know, like the saints might have mystical experiences when they pray. This was different. This wasn't a mystical experience. These weren't just interior experiences that the disciples had. This was an historical event. They encountered a living person. Though it was a historical event, it's also the resurrection is an event that transcends history. Right. So the resurrection has its origin within history. Pope Benedict writes about this so beautifully, by the way. If you get the second volume of his Jesus of Nazareth, it's so, so profound. And, and Pope Benedict says, okay, the resurrection of Jesus had its origin within history, but it's something new. It's a new type of event. It points beyond history, but it's left a footprint within history. It was attested to by witnesses who saw him. They touched him. They ate with him. These were real encounters. One gospel that we might want to look at a little more closely because I was with the poor sisters of St. Clair on Monday, uh-huh. and it was gospel of Matthew, the account that I was talking about a little earlier with the two women. And I had some thoughts that I shared with them on Easter Monday that you might want to share with your listeners, especially because Easter Monday, I don't know if you ever heard of it, it's called Little Easter. Oh. In, in Italy, it's La Pasquetta, it's a holiday, but I don't know if you want to take a break and we'll yeah. come back. Let's do that. Let's take a break. And whenever we come back, we'll talk more about Easter. I'm curious to hear about Little Easter as well. If you have any questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, where you can also find past episodes of this show. You could text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll talk about Easter as well as the word Hosanna right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop celebrating Easter. And Bishop, you just went through talking about all the different gospel accounts of the resurrection and how they're intertwined and how some gospels talk about some and some of the others. Well, I mean, it was fascinating, but you kind of teased this little Easter, which is Easter Monday, which I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Yeah. In Italy, it's called La Pasquetta. And uh-huh. when I was in, uh, living in Italy as a student, it was always a great day. I mean, everybody was out and just enjoying themselves. It was like, you know, especially going to parks and going, having picnics, going to the beach. I mean, it was, it's a national holiday. Actually, Easter Monday, La Pasquetta, Little Easter, uh-huh. is a holiday, public holiday in a lot of countries throughout Europe and Latin America especially these Catholic countries. Sure. So, and also they continue to eat all those special Easter foods and, uh-huh. and desserts and pastries, which were wonderful. And in Catholic countries, there's also another name for Easter Monday. 
besides Little Easter. And that is like an Italian, lunedì dell'angelo, Monday of the angel. Did you ever hear of that? No. Yeah. Monday of the angel. And of course, you can probably guess why. It's because it was an angel who first proclaimed that Jesus is risen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever thought about that. And I, I went through the different gospel accounts and a number of them talk about an angel or two angels. Uh-huh. Like at the Easter vigil, we had Matthew's account. And Matthew related that an angel descended from heaven and rolled back the stone of the tomb and sat on the stone. Mm-hmm. And that's when Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, were there at the tomb. And they saw the angel. And according to St. Matthew, the angel was like lightning. And his clothing was white as snow. Uh And what did the angel say? He told the women to not be afraid. And he said to them, I know that you are seeking Jesus the crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised just as he said. And the angel invited them to look and see that the tomb was empty. And then he told the women to let the disciples know that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that he's going before them to Galilee. What happened next is the two women went away quickly from the tomb to do what the angel said, to let the disciples know about the resurrection. And on the way, the risen Jesus appeared to them. They fell down and did him homage. And, and he basically said the same thing, to go tell the disciples that he'll, uh, he's going before them to Galilee. Mm-hmm. So... And I remember Pope John Paul II one time explained why an angel was needed to announce that Jesus had risen. The words, he is risen, were difficult for a human being to proclaim. The women and others, what did they, or all they saw was that the tomb was empty. Right. No human being, no human being saw Jesus rise from the dead. So a messenger from God was needed. Mm -hmm. And the words, he is risen, were spoken for the first time by angels. Mm -hmm. Pope Francis has also talked about how this is very significant. And this is what Pope Francis says. I quote, just as the angel Gabriel announced the incarnation of the word, so too a human word was not adequate to announce the resurrection for the first time. A higher being was needed to communicate a reality that was so awe-inspiring, so incredible, that perhaps no human being would have dared to utter it. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. But it was after that announcement by the angel that the community of disciples began to repeat it, began to proclaim, the Lord is risen. Now, of course, the disciples start saying this not only repeating the words of the angel, but also because so many of them themselves saw the risen Lord, saw the risen Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's the Christian proclamation, first spoken by the angels, Jesus is risen. You know, when you read the Acts of the Apostles, the first, what we could call the first missionary discourse of the early church was by St. Peter on Pentecost Sunday. Remember after he received the Holy Spirit, he went out into the city and gave this speech and really proclaimed the resurrection. He said to the people, this man, Jesus, whom you killed, God raised him up, releasing him from the throes of death. 
God raised this Jesus. Of this, we are all witnesses. That's like the first Christian homily, really. <laughs> you know, this, this proclamation, this missionary discourse. When you think about us today, okay, you think that the angel was God's messenger of the resurrection. That's what we remember on Easter Monday, the Monday of the angel. Mm-hmm. But the angel and then Jesus himself told the women to tell the other disciples that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And, and they did. And then the disciples started announcing it. So like Peter did on, on Pentecost. But that's our mission. We're not angels strictly speaking, because we have bodies, but we're asked to be messengers like them of Christ's resurrection. So we can say that we have this mission of angels to be messengers of Christ, because the word angel means messenger. So uh, angelus means messenger. So our mission is to be messengers of Christ and messengers of his victory over evil and death. And we received that mission when we were baptized and and when we were confirmed. So really the good news of Easter, the good news of the gospel really is the message of the resurrection. And one of the titles of the church that I like is the church is the community of the resurrection, uh, which I think is a beautiful name for the church. That is good. Especially good for us to reflect on as we continue to celebrate Easter. Just a reminder, you can ask questions for Bishop by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we're going to have a return of the Catholic Word of the Week, talking about the word Hosanna, and also maybe if you're willing to share a little bit about the word Alleluia as well as we celebrate Easter coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we haven't done this in a while, a Catholic Word of the Week, but the word Hosanna comes up, especially at Palm Sunday. I don't know if we use it very much otherwise. And then now during Easter, we say the word hallelujah a lot. So I thought maybe you could break down these words for us a little bit. Where does Hosanna come from? Well, it's a Hebrew term. Okay. We only find it uh, five or six times in, in the uh, New Testament, but we also find it in the Old Testament. But like you said, we find it in the New Testament on Palm Sunday, uh-huh. you know, in the four gospels. And there's only one other time in the New Testament, and that's when... Uh, the cleansing of the temple, there's, I forget, I think children are singing Hosanna. I'd have to look that up. But in any case, it the Hebrew term basically means, it comes from the words in Hebrew, yasha, which is save. And then na or ana is like a, a request. So we would say like in English, I pray, save. Hosanna. So it's, okay. it's this, this cry to be saved. I, you know, we would say probably, oh, save. Huh. So originally, you know, we find it in Psalm 118, and it really was part of the Jewish liturgy. They would use this word, Hosanna. It was a, uh, originally it was this cry to, to be saved, but eventually it became like a joyful cry. Hmm. And for example, they would use they would sing it as part of the Feast of Tabernacles, and the priests, the Old Testament priests, would carry willow branches 
and cry out Hosanna while they processed around the altar in the temple. Then the people kind of picked it up. So that's why when Jesus entered Jerusalem, they were singing this, you know, because they believed he was the Messiah. Uh-huh. Okay, the one who had come to save. And it was really a joyful cry because they believed that, okay, their time of deliverance was here. Now, they might have thought they were going to be delivered from the Romans, and Jesus' deliverance was different. It was from sin and death. But this, this cry of Hosanna, and then it went from the Jewish liturgy into the Christian liturgy, especially, as you know, we sing it during the Sanctus, the Holy, Holy, Holy. So it's part of Mass. Actually, back in, if you read the Didache, one of the earliest Christian documents back around the year 70 AD, the congregation would sing Hosanna to the Son of David after communion, interestingly. Hmm. But now we, we sing it as part of the Sanctus. You know, we're repeating what the crowd cried at uh, Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's kind of modeled after Psalm 118, and we're basically saying, Oh, save us. But it's now a joyful acclamation because Jesus has saved us. <laughs> yeah, we're, we can still say, Lord, grant us salvation. Lord, save us. But we know that the Lord has come to save us. Every time we participate in the Eucharist and we sing Hosanna, it's basically a joyful exclamation that the Lord truly has come and brought us salvation. So that sounds like how we also use the word alleluia around Easter time. Is, are they similar? Are they? It's really a different meaning. It's also rooted in Hebrew, and it, it means literally praise the Lord. So it doesn't really have that. Okay. I mean, the word Hosanna has to do about save, saving, uh-huh. whereas the word alleluia is really praise the Lord. Okay. We find it in the Old Testament also. Let me give you an example. In the book of Tobit in the Old Testament, well, I'll just quote Tobit chapter 13, verse 22. It's referencing a hymn of praise to be sung in the new Jerusalem. And this is what it says. The gates of Jerusalem shall be built of sapphire and of emerald and all the walls thereof round about of precious stone. All its streets shall be paved with white and clean stones and alleluia shall be sung in its streets. Hmm. I think that's a beautiful passage, uh, verse. And then not surprisingly, we find it also in the book of Revelation. When you read the book of Revelation, you'll, especially where it talks also about the new Jerusalem, etc. If you read in chapter 19, of, you know, the, the song that they heard, uh, the people in heaven singing, alleluia, salvation and glory and power to our God. It describes the really the, the liturgy in heaven, the four living creatures falling down and adoring God on the throne and they're singing Alleluia. So we see it in Scripture. We in the in the Catholic Church, it's always been an expression of praise, of glorifying God for His goodness. It's closely associated with a, the season of joy. We don't sing it during the season of Lent right. because that's a penitential season. But we sing it in this Easter time because this is a season of great joy and exultation. We're giving praise to God. It's, it's really, I, especially at the Easter vigil when they, 
when the Alleluia is chanted after not hearing it for for 40 days, it is just so beautiful. And and it's sung many times at the Easter Vigil, different tones, especially the, the deacon sings it before the gospel and three times and it gets higher in pitch each time. And then, right. then they sing verses from Psalm 118 again, that psalm that they sang in the temple, huh. but interspersed with the Alleluia's. It's really beautiful. And then there's the famous expression, uh, St. Augustine, who wrote that we are an Easter people and Alleluia is our song. That was him. That was okay. St. Augustine. You know, right. Did you know that? Yeah. I've heard that a lot. I didn't know where yeah. it came from. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this reflection. I think it helps us to engage in this Easter celebration. Again, this is the Easter octave, and we also have the Easter season, which goes until Pentecost. So 50 days for us to celebrate. And so this will help us dive into that even deeper. And I appreciate you for sharing all this with us. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. Alleluia. (laughs) Alleluia. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.